Good morning. I have the great pleasure to be reading from Matthew 22:34 to 40, the great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silent the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a great uh, question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all law and the prophets. I'm also reading John, uh, one, first John 4, 7 through 12. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us as his love is perfected in us. This is the word of this is God's word. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our series, The Gospel for All of Life. A big part of life is love, and so we're going to talk about love your neighbor as yourself this morning. If you've heard this illustration once, twice or three or four times, uh, please bear with me. Hopefully this is new to some of you. But uh, Early in my days as a Christian, I was uh, returning home from California and I was engaged in a conversation with a, a woman next to me. And the conversation turned to Christ. And I eventually said to her, the foundation of my life is Jesus Christ. What's the foundation of your life? Well, she was silent. She was thoughtful. A minute passed, another minute passed, and I began to be smug in myself. Boy, I got her on this one. And after about three minutes, she says, the foundation of my life is love. And I said, oh, And I was the one who became silent because I didn't know how to respond to that because that's a great foundation to have in life. And and I've been thinking about that statement uh, throughout the years and how would I respond to that? And how would we as Christians respond to someone who says that? And that, that question 
is more important today than it was back when it was asked of me. And that is because our culture has been moving in a more and more secular way. And there are headlines today that raise issues and talk about issues with which Christians are uncomfortable. And yet, these issues are undergirded, I believe, by people who say the loving thing to do is to have tolerance. And out of a love that our culture is promoting, they end up championing values that clash with Christian values. And yet we say we are encouraging restraint in these areas because we love you. So both the secularist culture and the Christian culture are saying we are making our decisions, we are raising our voices out of love, and yet we end in very different ends on these issues. And one of the things we, I see happening is I truly believe that it is out of love that our culture is making these choices. Yet we as Christians don't recognize that. And the flip side is true. I believe it's out of Christian love that we encourage restraint. And yet, our culture is unwilling to recognize that. So, if our culture is saying the foundation of our lives is love, and we as Christians are saying the foundation of our lives are Christ, who is love, how do we speak into our generation? What is the difference between us? That's what we'd like to look at today. Let's pray. Our Father, you be the guide. May the Spirit of Christ fall on us. For the Word of God itself needs to be taken by the Spirit because we're not just talking about a theology or although our minds want to embrace your Word, our hearts have to embrace your Word. And Lord, if we do not apply and live out this command. If I don't live that out, today I am a noisy gong, clanging. Father, let us live lives of love that are sweet melody to those around us. In Christ we pray. Amen. The answer to three questions I think will help us to speak into our culture today. First, why is love the foundation of life? Second, what enables us, what empowers us to be able to love in the way we think we should love? And then third, how can we love? What are acts of love? So, let's start with the first question. We all believe, just about everyone believes, love should be a central value in our lives. The passage we read this morning, Jesus said that. 
he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is love. To love God with your entire being. But there's a second one like it. It's not a second one secondarily. It's a second one just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as Christians, we hear that and we say, yes, love should be the foundation of our lives. And those outside the Christian faith look at that and they say, yeah, we, we adopt that second half. We truly believe you should love your neighbor as yourself. But what is the basis for believing that? Christians would point to their origins and say, we are created by a God who is love. That's why love should be central in our lives. A secularist has a more difficult time answering that question. They can't point to their origins, which would be evolution, and say a doctrine which is, grows out of survival of the fittest informs us that we should love one another. In fact, Richard Dawkins says, don't do that. A renowned atheist and author, he said this, don't revert to evolution as a way to live. I quote, I very much hope we don't revert to the idea of survival of the fittest in planning our politics, our values, and our way of life. I'm a passionate Darwinian when it comes to explaining why we exist, but to live our lives in a Darwinian way, to make a society a Darwinian society, that would be a very unpleasant sort of society in which to live. One of the reasons to learn about Darwinian evolution is as an object lesson to learn how not to set up our values in our social lives. Can't turn to origins, can't turn to science. John Gray writes in his article, What Scares the New Atheists? He says, When they assert that science can bridge fact and value, they overlook the many incompatible value systems that have been defended in this way. There's no reason to think science can determine human values today more than there was at the time of Haeckel and Huxley. That's when evolution was used to justify racism and genocide. None of the divergent values that atheists have from time to time promoted has any essential connection with atheism or with science. How could any increase in scientific knowledge validate values such as human equality and personal autonomy? The source of these values is not science. In fact, as the most widely read atheist thinker of all time argued, these quintessential liberal values have their origins in monotheism. They can't turn to philosophy. Some of the greatest philosophers, the most honest philosophers, end up being existentialists or nihilists. Jean-Paul Sartre expressed the only valid secularist conclusion. All human actions are equivalent. In other words, if you don't believe in God, you have no objective basis for any values, so they're all equal. So if you're driving down the street and somebody is hitchhiking, since all actions are equivalent, just the same if I run them over or if I pick them up. 
Nietzsche that said that apart from believing in a creator, which he did not believe in a creator, there's no basis to say anything about any values or morals. In fact, he would disparage those who, quote, would say, I don't believe in God, but I'm going to borrow from Christianity all the goody-goodies, like meaning and objective morals, because that's where they come from. Apart from objective truth values grounded in a belief in a creator, there is no basis for saying anything other than what Nietzsche wrote. You have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, the only way, it does not exist. And that's the conclusion that should be drawn if you don't believe in a God who gives us the values and morals. Christians point to a God who is love as the foundation of our values. Secularists can't point to such a God. Other religions of the world cannot show you that the central quality of their God is love. For instance, if you are a pantheist, the central value of God is not love because God is impersonal, a force. Polytheists, their gods, clash with each other. They battle each other for supremacy. Love is not the essence of their God. And monotheistic religions who believe in a Unipersonal God. The Christians believe in a triune God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The other monotheistic religions believe God is one God, one person. Love cannot be at the center of a God who is a single person. Because there is no one else to love. From all eternity, that God would only have himself. Therefore, if he had any love, it would be self-love. Therefore, he would create the world out of self-love so that people would love him, people would glorify him, people would honor him. He would be a narcissistic God. And one of the mistakes our culture makes is they think that's the kind of God that Christianity is promoting. And that is not the case. We speak of a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three personalities And the scripture tells us that the father and son have been in a love relationship from eternity past. Father, son, Holy Spirit have joined in love, revolving themselves around each other. As one theologian said, God is a socially related being within himself. In his tri-personal relationship, the three persons love one another support one another, assist one another, team one another, honor one another, communicate with one another, and in everything respect and enjoy one another, might add glorify each other. They are in need of nothing but each other throughout eternity. So we have a God who is love and has been loving from eternity past. That's why God is love, That's why when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandments are, 
He says, it's love. Love this way and love this way. That's what life is about. So what's the basis of you saying love is the foundation of your life? Second question we should answer is, what enables us to love? What's the source of love to love the way we wish to love? And I think the answer for most of us is my personal desire to love, my personal efforts to love, my personal choices to love. And I think it's very evident that we all fail. Just read a few posts and blogs Listen to the vitriolic speeches against people with whom others disagree. Open your books, which talk about the age of me first, the culture of narcissism that we're in, or turn on the news. And we will say, a secular society is failing to love. Look at the religious oppression and persecution. The wars between religions, the wars within religions. The terrorism done in the name of religion. And we see that religion is not the answer. It does not have the source to love. And then Christians, look in your own hearts Look at divisions within churches. Divisions among people within the churches. The pride that we have. The self-centeredness. The bickering. The gossip. The self-absorption. And we know that we do not have the resource to love the way we are called to love. So where, where does it come from? What is the source of that love? And the scripture says, we love because he first loved us. John is saying, you will not be able to love the way even you want to love unless you are so filled with the love of Christ found in the gospel of Jesus Christ You are so filled that it overflows. Look at it this way. If my bank account is empty, I am going to look to fill my bank account. That's what I'm going to be spending time on because I've got nothing to give away. I need to get. Now, if I've got some money in my bank account, I might think, okay, I could give a little bit here and a little bit there, but I still need to fill my bank account more. And that's going to be the greater concentration because I I want financial security. But what if? What if my bank account was so filled, so overflowing that I had perfect security, no worries, I could, my concentration and focus would now start to be How do I give it away? Warren Buffett has pledged to give away 
99% of his stock wealth, either while he's alive or after he dies. He has given and will give tens of billions of dollars away. And he says, it's nothing. By comparison, ordinary people give more than I give. Because when I give away billions, it does not affect my personal life or my family's life in any way. 150 billionaires have signed a pledge to give away half of their wealth, billions upon billions of dollars. Why? Because their bank accounts are so full. God is love. He created us in his image. And in his image, we are created to receive love and to give love. So think of ourselves as having a love account. Okay? If, if nobody's put anything into my love account, my entire focus is going to be on trying to get people to love me. If my love account is partially full, I can love some others, but I'm still going to be trying to get love from you. But if my love account is so full, I am perfectly secure, it is constantly replenished, it is overflowing, then my focus is how do I love my neighbor as myself? See, the scripture says, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction of God for our sins. You see what it's saying is? We think, oh, it's all about our love. And the scripture's saying, no, 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 no. It's all about receiving God's love in the cross of Jesus Christ, getting so filled with that love that now we can start talking about you loving one another. the cross of Christ. Romans says, God demonstrates his love toward us, or God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ didn't wait for us to be good people and loving people to love and to die for us. He looked at us. He looked at us in our sins, the depths of our sins. He looked at me and he saw somebody not only sinning, but somebody who was rebellious, ignoring God, uh, trampling God's word and God's law. He saw in me the prodigal who took all of God's resources with which he gave me and I went and squandered them and spent on the things that are detestable to God himself. And God looked at me and he said, I love him. I love him so much, I will send my son to die for him. Jesus was God. 
He took off his regal robes and he stepped into humanity to sympathize with us, to lead us, to teach us. That should have been enough for us to respond to that kind of love of God. But he did so much more. He came and he shared his wisdom. He shared his life. He shared his healing touch, his compassion. And our response, we crucified him. We rejected him. We subjected him to a mockery of justice and declared the one who is perfect justice guilty and to be condemned. He was taken, humiliated, whipped and beaten. And they placed on the king of kings, not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns, which is a picture of God's curse of the earth. They dragged him to the cross, put nails in his hands. While on the cross, they chided him and saying, oh, if you're the son of God, come down. Oh, he could have come down. But really, he couldn't. Not because he didn't have the power to come down, but because to come down would mean he could not take our sins and pay for the penalty of our sins. And so he suffered those indignities, and he responded saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But that torment of the flesh was nothing compared to the torment that he spiritually endured as he was separated from the eternal love of his Father. We cannot comprehend and begin to comprehend and understand that. But that's the love of Jesus Christ. Sit before the cross. Let that love fill you. Gain that security in your love. And then abide in that love. Because we fill it, but it leaves us unless we sit there and abide in the cross of Christ. And when we do, all of a sudden we have the resources, the love of God to flow out as it, as it should in us. Our secular culture cannot really answer the question, why is love the foundation? We as Christians can point to our origins, to our creator who is love. Secular's response to the source of love is to point to our personal love, which is fickle, inconsistent, unenduring, limited. Christians can point to the limitless love that God has for us and that the Spirit can bring to us and through us. And the third question we need to answer is, how can we love? What does it mean to love? What does it look like to love? What are loving acts? Because we all agree, we all agree we should love. And I would say in probably at least 99% of our expressions of love are the same for the secularist and for the Christian. We all believe if you love a person, you will be kind, you will be giving, you will be generous. You'll be forgiving. You'll be thoughtful. You will reach out to the needy. You will serve the underprivileged. We can go on and on and on where we all agree those are acts of love. 
but it's the headline areas today upon which we disagree. Because secularists would say, because we love people, we promote sex outside of marriage. We celebrate the homosexual lifestyle. We are encouraging special rights for transgender people. And we promote abortion. And I think we as Christians need to realize that our culture is supporting these values which clash with ours, not because they're trying to get at Christians. It's because they think this is what is loving for people, to help them live life more easily and be more accepted and to be more loved. We need to be very careful judging the motivations of those with whom we disagree. But I would ask the same of our culture to not judge the motivations of Christians. And I hope we have the right motivations for standing as we do. I hope it is love. And if it is anything but love, then we should be silent. But we would say we have a God of love. And so he's giving us commands that express love. It's in verse 40. Jesus not only said, this is the greatest command, love God. Another one just like it. You can't separate loving God from loving your neighbor. Impossible to separate those two. You love your neighbor as yourself. And then the verse we often overlook is the last one. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What's he saying is, God is love. He's called us to have love be central. And therefore, all of his commands, all of scripture itself, are given to the end to show us how to express love for one another. Are we confused if an act is loving or not? We can go to God himself. And that's what Jesus is saying. I don't want to be cursory up here. I have to be to some extent. We are not to be unloving, not compassionate, not caring, not valuing and treasuring people who are having these struggles. Let Christ fill your heart with love so it's filled for everyone. Pastor Brandon will specifically speak to the issue of the gospel and homosexuality in the future, he's going to be able to contextualize it a lot better than I can today. But we need to have a divine perspective. Again, go back to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in an eternal love relationship. He is love. You know why he created us? Because he's love. One who loves looks outward all the time. He could not keep his love. He could not contain his love. It had to splurge out into creation. So he creates us to receive that love and to return that love, not just to him, but to all his creation. Imagine a divine party of love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have the perfect party. Why do they invite somebody into that party? because they want the people 
They want others to experience what they're experiencing. That's why God created. And so what's the ruling ethos within that party? It's what the nature of God is. It's love. But then the question becomes, what are the rules of the party? If you were having a party and you, you had the perfect party, but you said, I want to invite neighbors I barely know because I want them to, to get to know us. I want them to experience each other. If a guy drives up and smashes into another car, you might say, no, 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 don't do that. Or if somebody comes in drunk and is boisterous and is hitting on all the women, you'd say, well, no, no, don't do that. Or if they uh, start passing out drugs, you'd say, don't, don't do that. That's not what this party is about. And that's what God's saying. All of his commands are expressions of love. Look at the Ten Commandments. That's exactly what it is. The first four commandments are love toward God. It's worship and honor only God. Don't, don't reinvent God. Worship idols. Don't misuse God's word and misrepresent God. And set aside time for intimacy, the intimacy for which you were created. And, and toward your neighbor, don't steal. Don't, don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't lust after what your neighbor has. Honor your father and mother. Those are all expressions of love. Now, our culture might say, yeah, but I can get the latter ones of loving your neighbor. I can get those same actions out of my belief that everything is permissible as long as you don't hurt somebody else. And you're, you're hurting somebody if you steal, if you lie, if you uh, commit adultery, it, it, maybe not if you're lusting after other whatever people, people have. Maybe we disagree there a little bit, but I can get pretty much the same actions of love as long as we don't hurt someone else. How do you know you're not hurting somebody? In fact, every sin hurts the person who is made in God's image. It keeps them from the intimacy of relationship with God for which they were created. It, it, it draws them away from their true identity as men and women created in the image of God. God tells us. So how do we know it's wrong to steal? Is it wrong to steal? Yes, the Bible says so. Is it okay to lie? The Bible says no. We say no. Is it okay to promote sex outside of marriage? Our society says yes. God who loves us and wants the best for us says no. Why? Because culture, you misunderstand what the sexual relationship is all about. You see, God, the three are one. And so he is bringing a picture onto earth of two becoming one. Of having such a deep, incredible love relationship with each other that they become all about themselves. They revolve their lives around each other. They support each other. They honor each other. They encourage each other. They love one another. And God created sex to be the greatest bond builder 
of all. It is a tremendously pleasurable and emotionally connecting activity. And God created it for that. That's why God says it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage. And if you have come to the cross, get the grace of God and a renewal of your vision, gaining God's perspective on it. That's why he says that. It's not to take away fun. Now, we could go through a lot of commands, and it's important if we can to, to get into the heart of God and how each of these commands is love. Sometimes we won't be able to make the connection. In that case, we trust God. We trust him that this is the loving and this is the unloving way to, to live. God is love. We've talked a lot about it. God certainly doesn't want it left there. We are noisy gongs if all we've done is talk about love this morning. The question is, how do we live out love for our neighbors? We mentioned a lot of them, forgiving, being kind, being thoughtful, but are we, do we really think of our neighbors? Or is it just once in a while? And that's what God's called us to as a church, is to love our neighbors, to be thinking about them, to consider them more important than ourselves, to love them as much as we love ourselves. Are we investing in them? Are we, we moving toward them? And I would like to open up a, a time here where you share some of the thoughts you've had, either what you've been able to do for neighbors or at least thinking of this as something that would be good to do for neighbors. 